Christine and Katie and I have been preaching this sermon series called Chefs of Light about the 20th century saints and heroes who are depicted in the windows of our Malat Chapel. If you're wondering why we have the predominance of German and Bach this morning, it's because our figure for this morning is Albert Schweitzer. And our scripture lesson is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. For the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love to those who fear God. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear God. Bless the Lord, all God's works, in all places of God's dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, says Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. It's such a familiar and beloved and well-worn poetic line that we sometimes fail to notice how large and wise that advice is. Praise the Lord with all that is within you, with every fiber of your being and sinew of your limbs and neuron of your brain. Praise the Lord when you are in your office or when you're on the tennis court. Praise God at work and in your leisure. Praise God with every book that you read and pray, prayer that you pray and song that you sing and entertainment that you enjoy and hobby that you've learned and skill that you've mastered and errand that you run. Praise the Lord in triumph and in defeat, in laughter and in tears, in celebration and in lament with everything that is within you. Make your very life a canticle of praise to the Almighty, a hymn of doxology to the one who fires the burning suns and spins the flying planets. So, do you think Albert Schweitzer praised the Lord with everything that was within him? With every fiber of his being and sinew of his limbs and neuron of his brain? When he turned 90, Life magazine described him as the greatest man in the world. And I think the magazine ventured that extravagant hypothesis because he was such a, an accomplished polymath in so many arenas of human life. He was a pastor, a preacher, a theologian, a philosopher, a physician, a missionary, a hospital builder. Not only was he an accomplished organist, but he was also one of the ablest interpreters of Johann Sebastian Bach's organ music in the 20th century. Todd, did you know that Albert Schweitzer said that the organ has within it an element of the eternal? The organ acquaints us with eternity. And he said this because of the continuity of the organ's tone. That is to say, when you press a key, it keeps sounding until you unpress it. Piano can't do this. So uh, an organ acquaints, acquaints us with eternity. Schweitzer said that an organ can never be a secular instrument, even in, when it's played in a secular place. 
like a baseball stadium, for instance, or a roller skating rink. It's always a holy instrument because of what it is. So friends, behold, a master of the eternal. <laughs> I love preacher's kids, obviously. I have two of them myself. So Albert Schweitzer was born to the manse in Kaisersburg, Alsace. You know probably that Alsace is sometimes French and sometimes German. It was German when uh, Albert Schweitzer was born, so he's German as well. He was the son and grandson of preachers on his father's side and a grandson of an organist, of course, on his mother's side. He started playing the organ when he was eight years old. His legs were too short to reach the pedals. He led his first church service from the organ bench when he was nine and when he turned 19 he became an organ student of Charles Marie Vidor in Paris and so before he reaches the age of 30 this pastor's son becomes a wunderkind in theology music and philosophy and homiletics he masters French German English Hebrew Greek Latin and later many African dialects and so he lives this pampered, happy, comfortable life of the scholar in the ivory tower, right? But he's also surrounded by all of these impoverished beggars in Strasbourg and in Paris. And when he's a young man in his 20s, he learns about the wretched rapacity and covetous cruelty that France and Germany and Belgium have wreaked upon their African colonies. And so when he turns 21, he makes a deal with himself. He says, I will continue to study music and theology until I turn 30. And then surely when I turn 30, the Lord will expect me to devote the rest of my life to the service of humanity. So that's just what he does. From 21 till 30, he continues to deliver these killer lectures and preach these brilliant sermons and play this beautiful music. And then when he turns 30, he stops being a professor and becomes a student again instead in the medical school. He says, I'm going to Africa to practice medicine where they have no doctors. His family and friends are stunned and furious. They think he is throwing all this God-given talent in the trash can. Charles Marie Vidor, his organ teacher who loved him like a son, says, Al, you're acting like a five-star general who is taking his rifle into the trenches next to his grunts instead of finding a safe perch behind the lines to command the troops. You can do a lot more good right where you are. But he persists. And with all his other musical and theological obligations, it takes him eight years to get through medical school. But then at the age of 38, he boards a ship at Bordeaux and sails across the Atlantic. To an abandoned medical mission called Lombarene on the Ogoway River in what is now Gabon in West Central Africa. So it takes three weeks to get from Bordeaux to the coast of what's now Gabon. And then when you get to the coast of Gabon, it's another two weeks and 150 miles upstream by river canoe before you get to this abandoned hospital. By the way, 
Before he reaches uh, Africa, his friends back in Germany give him a piano that is outfitted with organ pedals. I don't even know what such a contraption would do. But his friends didn't want him to abandon the organ while he was in Africa, so they construct this piano organ with organ pedals, and then they construct this elaborate zinc case to protect it during its oceanic voyage, and then upstream the river by river canoe before they get to the hospital. And when they finally get to the hospital, they discover that it's not really a hospital at all, but rather a collection of ruins, ruined shacks. Their first surgical suite is a chicken coop. He's the only doctor within 200 miles. People will come to his hospital emerging from the jungle after walking for days and weeks with their entourage of family members in tow. For the next 50 years, Dr. Schweitzer will treat thousands upon thousands of people who have no other hope. He will return there 14 times until he dies at his beloved hospital at the age of 90 in 1965. And when he does this, there are 70 buildings, 350 beds, and a leper colony for 200. His grave can be found there marked by a simple wooden cross he fashioned himself. In 1952, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for a philosophy he would always call reverence for life. And when Albert Schweitzer talked about reverence for life, he didn't mean just human life. He meant all earthly life. Human life, animal life, plant life, even insect life, which is strange coming from a doctor whose caseload would be overflowing with malaria cases. The truly ethical human being, he always said, would see all life as sacred. And he seems to have been born with this notion for the reverence of life. When he was eight years old, a friend invited him to go bird hunting with slingshots. He didn't want to do this. He didn't want to kill anything. But he also didn't want to be a sissy, so he went along and resolved to miss every shot deliberately. But then just before his first errant shot, the church bells chimed behind him, and he took this as a sign from God. So he drops his slingshot and runs into the meadow before him, waving his arms and shouting to scare the birds away. No avian life perished that day in that meadow. And the concept, the actual concept, reverence for life, wouldn't come to him until many years later. He's in Africa. He's floating up the Ogowe River 150 miles to treat a single patient. And he's on a river steamer. And in the course of his voyage, the river steamer passes a little family of four hippos. Mom, dad, two juveniles. I see them resting on a sandbar in the river. And Dr. Schweitzer is so moved by this sight that this phrase, reverence for life, comes upon him spontaneously, unbidden, in a flash. Forty years later, the Nobel Peace Prize. And so at Lamborghini, it wasn't only 
It wasn't only human beings who sought refuge from the jungle in the hospital. Crippled and sick animals also emerged from the jungle to find refuge there. And after they were treated, they often chose to stay because it seemed they would be safe with Dr. Schweitzer, they knew. He had a particular fondness for pelicans, including Parsifal, the pet pelican. Dr. Schweitzer blessed the Lord with all that was within him, with every fiber of his being and sinew in his limbs and neuron in his brain, in art and in science, in medicine and in music, in Europe and in Africa, with the learned and with the unlettered, rich and poor alike. His life was a canticle of praise to the Almighty. One last thing and then I'll quit. It's 1916-1917. Uh, First World War. Dr. Schweitzer is living on the coast of what's now Gabon, at the mouth of the Ogowe River. And while he's there, he's working on this massive two-volume book with the imposing title, Philosophy of Civilization. Dr. Schweitzer never thought a small thought. The Philosophy of Civilization. And so at the mouth of the Ogowe River on the coast of Gabon, timber is a very important industry. They harvest these logs from the jungle and float them down the river to the mouth where laborers strap them together into rafts with ropes and they wait there till they can be shipped to Europe. But this is the First World War. There is a moratorium on shipping. No logs are going to Europe. And so you can't have these unused logs sitting in the water or worms will eat them. And so it's the laborer's job to roll the logs up on the beach while they dry out until they can ship them to Europe once again. These logs are huge. They weigh two or three tons apiece. Sometimes it will take two hours to roll a single log onto the beach. The job can only be done at high tide. So there's this work going on, rolling these logs on the beach, and Dr. Schweitzer's working on the philosophy of civilization on the porch, and the laborers ask him to help, and he says yes. Later, he would say, when the tide was high, I rolled logs. When the tide was low, I worked on my philosophy of civilization. And so Dr. Schweitzer might be a shaft of light for your life. He might be a good hero to include in your packed pantheon of personal paragons. When the tide is high, roll logs. When the tide is low, think your brilliant thoughts. Always and everywhere, practice reverence for life. All life. And turn your life into a canticle of praise to the Almighty. Bless the Lord with all you have within you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.